Hello and a big welcome back to the Expected Goals podcast. It's been a while, we've been away, we've had a bit of a break, uh, but we're back and better than ever, fingers crossed. I'm joined, as always, by Charlie Benny. Charlie, how have you been over uh, sort of the last couple of months or so, um, and what have you made of Brighton over that period of time? Hi Liam, yeah, doing, doing well, um, keeping safe, the most important thing uh, over football, believe it or not. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been pretty content with Brighton's start to the season up until maybe the last few games that have just sort of started to grate on me a little bit more. And I think the pressure just mounts every, uh, every, every game that we go by without, without getting the win that in a lot of cases we have, we've deserved. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed with the numbers that we're putting up. I'm impressed indeed with the performances in terms of eye test. I've enjoyed uh, watching us this, this season. I think the team's done everything that you, you want to see uh, in terms of working hard, uh, putting a lot of uh, a lot of effort into the games, a lot of uh, chances created and a positive attitude. I, I think uh, you can tell the mood amongst fans is such that uh, this this positive attitude, taking the positives and moving on is starting to is starting to wear thin a little bit um, because ultimately football is a results business and, and that's what people want to see. Um, but I'm confident that things will start to turn around, um, not least in, in terms of the results, and hopefully we can uh, we can start getting a little bit more luck. Uh, I think it's right for, for fans to expect results, and we're not going to sit here and tell people, because as you mentioned, Charlie, it's a results-driven business, uh, and for what it's worth, Charlie and I would also like to see us win every single game, um, but in the interest of hopefully sustainable long-term performance, um, although this might feel painful now, this is a way which probabilistically, and that's the problem, is, is trying to sort of show you through the numbers that this should mean that in, in the long term we are a better side who can hopefully maintain uh, a Premier League status for a longer period of time. It, it is worth noting, um, you know, not, not to look too far away geographically. If you look at Southampton as sort of a prime example of this, a team who are now, you know, pushing the top of the league, um, I think sort of this time last season, were, were, I think they were about second bottom, so I'm going to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, obviously, Battered 9-0 at home um, by Leicester on, on a very wet Friday evening. Um, I think it was Friday evening. Not not massively uh, the, the point I'm trying to make there. But um, regardless, yeah, I think Southampton has shown that if you stick by a manager and you, you trust them, and they last season put up good numbers in terms of their, their press was very good. Um, their chance creation was very good. Of course, they've got the added bonus of having uh, sort of a 20-plus goal of season striker in Danny Ings. But... You know, if you if you look at it across the board from a Brighton perspective, if you've got Neil Mapai, um, Aaron Connolly, and Leandro Trossard, who between them might give you twenty goals. So whether it comes from sort of one player or many, um, try not to worry too much, um, because even in this sort of period where we're we're really finding it difficult, uh, we are still out of the bottom three. Um, you know, we are still taking points. Um, it, it's not as bad as it could be. Um, it's not all doom and gloom. Hopefully, we'll start getting the the wins, as Charlie said that. We've put we're, we're unsustainably um, bad. It's probably the, the best way to put it at this point in time. Um, so, so, sort of speaking on that, Charlie, let's try and draw some positives then from um, from the recent games. Of course, we had Tariq Lamptey um, opening his account up uh, in, in very fine fashion in, in North London um, in, in the two-one loss at Spurs. Um, I, I thought, um, and I will always, of course, probably have some bars towards Pascal Gross, but I thought, and I really liked watching this in sort of the past couple of games where Gross has featured more. Um, I think he's sort of the perfect sort of player for Lamptey to sort of um, play alongside in terms of a partnership. I think they balance very well. Of course, Gross is, is often lambasted for uh, not having much pace, but to put someone who is quite literally a speed demon in Tarek Lamptey next to him, 
um, seems perfect. And I think that as someone who's got such a good final ball, um, I thought you know Gross has found Lamptey with some really, really good passes, you know, including obviously the one to assist him uh, for the goal at Spurs. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think um, Gross has come into the side uh, the last few games and I think he's done pretty well. Obviously, uh, got the assist uh, for Lamptey's first uh, senior goal. Uh, which was really pleasing to see. I, I was with um, individuals that weren't particularly impressed with with Pascal Gross's performances uh, at Spurs and indeed against Burnley. And I knew I could rely on on Liam to uh, rapidly uh, put forward uh, the uh, the inevitable numbers. I said, look, I haven't been I haven't been watching him that closely, but I tell you now, at the end of this game, there will be a tweet from Albion Analytics <laughs> that most successful crosses, most successful key passes, and it will be gross. And and indeed, of course, it was. Um, I like him next to Lamptey. I think um, there's a good balance there. I think that gross does cover a lot of ground. So um, people seem to think that he's a little bit of a, a liability defensively. Like he, he can't really, uh, you know, sprint back at the, in the same way that Tarek can, but he covers a ridiculous amount of ground, uh, which is especially important in the uh, 3-5-2 formation that we are, employing uh, this season. I think that his vision and his final ball are effective next to Lamptey because he can release him on overlaps or indeed switch the play. I think he ranks top for accurate long passes per 90 in the uh, bottom 14. You can find, I think you can probably guess where I got that, got that stat from. The other 14 is a really good Mm. uh, Twitter account, puts out great stats. Um, relevant to teams in and around uh, our, our league position, which is which is great for comparison. Um, so, yeah, I think Pascal's done pretty well over the last few games. Um, you know, the competition that we have now is is quite exciting. Obviously, the results aren't there, so maybe there's there's arguments for uh, for changing things. Uh, Al Zaitz hasn't really got a look in recently, which has been a shame. Prop has been injured. I've been looking forward to seeing Malumbi on international duty because he hasn't even been able to get any opportunity um, in the first team, which I think is a shame as well. And, you know, I, I reckon those kind of thoughts are weighing on, on Potter's mind too. There are players that haven't even really got a shot yet. Um, so we have options. We have we have the possibility to change things up. McAllister, of course, coming on uh, and and scoring that important equaliser against Palace. So I th- we do definitely have options in that in that central midfield spot. Um, but I'm relatively happy with, with what Gross has been producing. The set pieces... Um, are also something that you just we think we need to take advantage of more and there's no one in our squad who can produce accurate set pieces on a regular basis like him so I, th- I think he, he offers something whenever he's in the team for sure uh, A big obviously um, sort of I think amount of praise needs to be given to Adam Lallana as well um, not even looking at this from sort of a technical standpoint but um, for someone who's perhaps in the phase of his career that he's in now um, and my sort of big concern, as me and Charlie had talked about this sort of off the pod and stuff before, was um, Lalana being a, is obviously a very good signer with an immense career CV. Um, no doubt in you know his, his previous ability, but you know our main worry was just how many minutes do we get out of this bloke? And um, just goes to be testament to, and quite rightly, is the, the sort of the Brighton scouting um, recruitment department been given a, a whole host of praise for the, the signs that we've brought in. As you look at, obviously, most recently, uh, the likes of uh, Yakamoto and Michael Carbonek uh, on deadline day. But I think the, um, the sports science team um, and all the medical team, obviously, are also deserving of lots of, lots of praise. Uh, you know, back-to-back full 90s for the first time um, in about four years. So the, the last time, for, for a bit of context, for, for people who uh, might have seen the statistic when I posted it, was that 
Uh, Adam Lallana's at a full 90 minutes that he completed against Tottenham. It's his first. It's the final day of the 16-17 Premier League season. So that was his first full 90 minutes uh, of league football since Brighton had become a Premier League side, um, which is quite staggering. Um, you know, really impressive to see now that we've got him um, sort of really firing on all cylinders, creating an awful lot. Um, and I'm not sure about you, Charlie, but for me, I really like to see the way as well that um, creates a lot through central areas, which I've been quite impressed by as well. Uh, a good ability to sort of release the likes of Mapai, sort of break that defensive line. Um, you know, we've been a side who have created well from wide areas, but, you know, crosses and, and balls in that sort of area can be a bit more tricky to finish. If, you know, you've got to deal with the spin or the trajectory on the ball, um, you know, trying to sort of redirect the ball in, into the net as opposed to, you know, a ball being rolled in behind. Um, and this may really, really suit the likes of Aaron Connolly, the likes of Neil Mapai, uh, and of course, now more recently, Danny Welbeck, who um, was impressed with myself uh, in sort of the game against Burnley. I thought he... Um, you know, right from the office was involved. A good cutback to Tariq Lamptey, who, as quality as, as quality as he is, perhaps isn't the one you want trying to uh, convert from a cutback. Um, but that's Tariq Lamptey's nature, I think, to sort of get that far advanced and you know be that involved in the play in forward areas. Um, so Welbeck sort of adding that dimension, I guess, and being sort of dare I use the word Glenn Murray replacement because he's perhaps not here to replace Murray, but he you know he's here to offer uh, the same type of aerial threat, um, more of a runner behind, I suppose, but you know a real sort of dexterous player. Uh, his last 18 Premier League goals have been six left foot, six right foot and six headers. Um, so as a transfer, Charlie, what do you make of Welbeck? And on top of that, uh, his performance against Burnley, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I was pleased with uh, his performance for sure. Um, to, just to add to what you said about Lallana, I completely agree that he's um, he's played a more significant role than maybe I expected. Um, as As you say, the first first 90 minutes in in quite a long time against Tottenham and then playing a back-to-back 90 minutes uh, with, with a with a full performance against Burnley, which was really pleasing. I thought he was great in that game. Um, I think his intelligence is, is obviously clear to see. It's, you know, it's something that is, is going to play a very important role. Um, the amount of uh, ground that he ca- uh, covers as well, uh, similar to Gross, I think he you know really does offer that as well, which is important. Um, and, and fits nicely into the system that we, we're trying to play this year. Um, with Welbeck, um, yeah, very pleased with with his performance also. Um, they do say in, in a slightly more cliche way that, you know, strikers getting the chances is, is what you want to see. Uh, strikers getting the chances and missing them is is, is way more encouraging than, than just a 90 minutes of just nothing. Uh, it's what you want to be seeing. I think uh, I will reflect honestly... On, on my watching of the of the Burnley game, and I was very very frustrated uh, to see uh, Nick Pope save uh, Welbeck's effort with his foot. It was a very good save, uh, which I'm sure you'll attest to. But to be honest, I think my frustration that we weren't putting away the chances that we were making, and and we were going to obviously inevitably suffer another frustrating nil nil, um, got the better of me in in a more general sense. Uh, I, I will caveat it by saying what I sort of said at the time, which was, you know, if um, if Gross had missed the chance, if Lalana had missed the chance, if Morpé had missed the chance, I would have been equally frustrated with them. But frankly, in in the stage of the of the ruts that we're in, those just have to go in. You need to score. Um, it's a very good save, uh, you know, and as an isolated instance, I don't, you know, he didn't do too much wrong. The finish is decent, uh, obviously. In retrospect, he wanted a, a, like a higher finish into the far corner. A near post finish might have been apt as well. I don't think he did anything too too wrong. It was a good save, but 
frankly, we just need one of those to go in. Those are chances. We can't expect to make too many clear chances like that. Um, you know, once you start adding up, as you say, the Tarek Lamptey one, that one, Gross's header, you know, it's just too many. That's just you can't really let slip through your fingers. And, and I think at the time, I let my frustration out on on Welbeck in particular. But I like the fact that he was getting into those positions. I think his running was very strong. His intelligence was great. More per header chance in the second half, which he shot and I think was knocked. And I think Welbeck was steaming down the outside of him and a little reverse pass into him would have been nice. Uh, but I, I am enthusiastic to see his contribution after being uh, in in the in and around the squad uh, for such a short period of time, and I think that he will play a very strong role, uh, either helping Connolly and and Morpé kick on and maybe rediscover their form, give them a bit of extra incentive, or indeed taking over the mantle a little bit more and and hopefully providing that experience that we need, calmness in front of goal. Mm, I was also absolutely screaming for Newman Pye to roll in. Um, yeah, had to do it. Had well to do it. Um, yeah, I think the situation took us all a bit by surprise because for, for Nick Pope to, um, you know, sort of slice the goal kick in the way that he did, I think, caught everyone off guard. And, uh, you know, props to Welbeck because I think he was the first to sort of react, um, played in Mapai with sort of a great overlapping run. Um, but, you know, perhaps this is the thing when Mapai obviously that, um, you know, without having any genuine understanding, um, nor that I don't think Charlie does either, as to, you know, what's genuinely going on inside the club. Um, Pai to me did look like a player who maybe hadn't played for, for a game or so um, you know he did look maybe like he was almost trying perhaps a bit too hard really sort of desperate to try and make something happen that you know maybe um, I think this is maybe Mopai's, um you know d- desire to maybe be a bit more selfish in front of goal which has definitely got its benefits to you know having seen him score some some really nice finishes and some really tough ones uh, with, with both feet uh, as well as his head um, you know sometimes maybe uh, as Charlie says you maybe need a, a calm head someone maybe like a um, you know, like a Lalana, maybe like a Gross in there to sort of just roll the ball across five yards. Um, not, of course, any guarantee that Welbeck then scores it, but from an XG perspective, that chance definitely goes up. Um, and just sort of support what Charlie was saying with some numbers that hopefully might sort of uh, reassure a few people. Um, you, you know, in terms of our hitting the target, it's really been the problem for us this season. The, the good news is, is that we're not really coming up against keepers who are being necessarily exceptional. Um, in, in terms of the about the the six, um, just over six XG we've had of shots that have gone on target, um, you know, 4.3 of those XG we've ended up scoring from. Um, 11 goals we've scored and we've only had 18 shots saved. So if you look at that as, as 29 shots, that's almost a, uh, you know, that's a solid over a third of, of shots on target going in. But the, the big problem is that we've had 34 shots blocked, totaling 2.15 XG and 38 off target, totaling 2.73 XG. So that's, that's really the issue of not testing the keeper in the first place. Perhaps more worrying, I think, from a latter perspective um, of the shots off target, you know, as they're, they're not doing anything in general. Um, the shots being blocked is maybe a bit more understandable, particularly when you look at uh, the likes of the, um, the the Palace and the Birdie games where teams do sit off us more. Uh, we'll have numbers behind the ball, which, of course, makes it easier to block shots by having bodies in the way. Um, but just sort of, yeah, to, to reaffirm what Charlie was saying, if you get enough of those Danny Welbeck chances, um, you know, it wasn't a perfect finish. But it's the sort of one that might go in eventually. Um, and of course, you, you need the shot to be on target for any if it's have any chance going in. So hopefully those numbers do reassure you guys uh, a little bit. Yeah, I think... Unless some sort of longer form. Uh, yes, yeah. That's... Sorry, are working in our favour. I think, mm. yeah, I think our, our, our finishing is not woeful. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think... Um, I think there's fine margins and some decent goalkeeping saves that have cut, that have come 
from particular chances. I'd say um, specifically, I'd say the Johnston one against uh, for well, when we were playing West Brom and and Lana squares it to Morpé uh, mm. and he just saves it with his feet again. It's the it's the legs of the goalie. It's really getting in our way. Um, Get rid of them. Decision making as well. Uh, where the shots are coming from, I think the Palace one is the most obvious indication of that when Morpé uh, went through on his right. I think he just, I'm not sure why he didn't feel that was an optimum shooting opportunity, but taking it onto his left, I, I'm not even sure the shots that that eventually came from that, were, the XG would have been absolutely butchered from where mm. he was um, if he'd shot in, uh, in the first instance. So, um Perhaps again, maybe we, we've had better chances than even the numbers are suggesting, uh, which which is a worrying thing, I suppose, that we really need to uh, improve our decision making in those instances. Yeah, this would definitely be something Potter's bit, you know, would have been working with. Um, you'd have expected sort of over the international break where he might actually benefit from. Um, obviously, I know that Aaron Conley had a had a slight injury, which I don't think is too much to worry about. Um, we're drawing from the Ireland squad, so um, you know, no extra fatigue for him. I know Andy Zakiri is involved tonight, actually. Um, you know, we're recording this uh, Monday evening prior to the France 21s against uh, the Swiss 21s. Um, Percy Tau scored two earlier on today uh, for South Africa. Uh, they beat uh, Sao Tome once again uh, in, in a, I think it was an AFCON qualifier. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a whole host of, of sort of firepower um, available. And, you know, hopefully that, that provides at least competition, as Charlotte sort of mentioned, in, in an attacking midfield perspective that we've got so many options that could go to that midfield and it's, it's starting to become the same now. And the front line, which is, is quite positive, um, but, but yeah, the, the numbers do, do suggest that uh, the only way is up that we will end up scoring some goals and not only will we end up scoring some goals, but we should really end up sort of dispatching a few teams quite well. Um, so hopefully we'll have sort of in, in a few games time or a few weeks time, a, a couple of games, you know, even better than the Newcastle one where we quite comfortably cruise past in the end. But, you know, maybe some sort of four goal games, five goal games. Um, as there's only so long we should be able to um, sort of uphold this for. Um, and, and that goes for the same of, um, you know, there'll be times where teams will overperform their XG. Um, but, you know, Reading, for anyone that's interested in the Championship, are a prime example of that, um, scoring a disgusting amount from incredibly low XG. Um, so, you know, teams can't, you know, have this last forever um, and it will change at some point. I can't tell you when, but it, it definitely will. Um, so so to, to move on a, a tiny bit, but sort of address a question that um, that was asked on Twitter that uh, by Sam, Charlie, that I, I really did quite like. Um, was asking about the likes of Pascal Gross and David Proper, um, saying about obviously with those players becoming a bit more senior now in, in terms of their age. Um, you know, do, do we think that they still sort of have key roles within the team? Um, I think that the the one sort of um, appendage I'd put on to that would be that obviously, although Potter's shown a real desire for sort of young players now. I mean, we've got the third youngest team on average um, in the league this season. He, you know, incredibly reliant on on under 23s and young players. But I think he's shown a well back in Atlanta that he definitely still values. Um, sort of the, the uh, not not sort of the older players but the experience that they can bring. I think um, maybe Dunk's absence as well has perhaps shown that um, you know as good as young players are for their perhaps their energy and their, their you know um, dynamic nature going forward that you know experience you know really can't be bought. Yeah, I think that um, in in a strange sense the age is uh, both entirely irrelevant to Potter but also something that he he will be uh, very grateful to use. Um, he's spoken a lot about players having the right kind of personalities, the right kind of attributes. And and that basically means, to my mind, that he, he doesn't really care what players he ends up using. He he just wants to use the best ones for the job. And that, that includes whether they've played in a certain position before or not. 
uh, it, you know, it's the attributes that he wants to look at and what they can bring. Uh, if he thinks, uh, you know, somebody who's traditionally played at centre back, you know, will be effective in midfield at cutting out passes um, and, and stopping counter attacks, then he won't hesitate to do so, as we've seen with Ben White. Um, putting him in midfield um, against Palace uh, and 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 in the subsequent games afterwards really worked. Uh, the, you know, the numbers that he put up were fantastic, really, really impressive in terms of the number of interceptions, the number of ball recoveries. And that's just something, a, a good example of, of a coach identifying uh, positive attributes in a player and putting them to good use in a, in a say, non-conventional way uh, in in order to kind of help control the game or, or send it in your favour a little bit more. Um, you know, the evidence for that one is clear. Palace had one shot in the entire game at home and it was a penalty that, you know, frankly, wasn't a penalty. That you know, they this is you can't re- in that in that instance you can't really rest- expect to restrict Premier League opposition, no matter who you are, to to less than that. I, I it's unfortunate that they scored that the, the shots that they had, but you, I don't think you can really expect too much in that sense. With regards to age, I think the sa- the same kind of rule applies. I think he's interested in using players with attributes and personalities that uh, if he thinks they'll be effective, then then for sure they'll play. And that means if they're if they're a seventeen year old, or if they're if they're thirty two or thirty three, he's not really going to going to hesitate in that sense. Proper has been a favourite of his uh, since since he came into the club, and and I expect once he's kind of back to to full fitness, uh, normal match sharpness, that he will play a significant role. Uh, obviously, Gross has has kind of come back into the team a little bit more, um, and really helped us in terms of the crossing that we've we've we put in. Um, I think that last Burnley game was the most amount of crosses we've attempted in a in a it match um, mm-hmm. from my from my memory which yeah uh, you know I think that's thinking about different ways to kind of impact the opposition um, obviously you know Pascal Gross is that's you know that's what he can do and and he, he's done his job in that sense created quite a few chances from from crosses lots of short corners but we managed to work them into you know relatively uh, intriguing positions so I, I think there's I think there's an argument to say that we are looking with our recruitment. We're certainly looking to phase in younger players. I think that's into, that's kind of more relevant to value and buying players who are younger who can improve on on their ability and their potential. So it goes up and up and up, and and then we can sort of sell them potentially sell them for more, or or they can be integrated into the squad. Um, so I think that yeah, from a recruitment perspective, I think we are trying to bring in younger players and integrate younger players into the squad um but it's from a coaching perspective and and teams that potter picks uh i think his selection is entirely best uh, based on the attributes the players have i think matt, matt ryan got dropped for for sanchez against tottenham we're not really sure why potentially he just wanted to, uh, he said he wanted to give him a little bit of a rest and he felt that sanchez would would help um sanchez is obviously a lot taller than than ryan i think he's like six six five maybe mm-hmm slightly over even uh, he's a very tall goalkeeper so that could have been something that he was he was looking at obviously Ryan comes straight back in uh, as the more senior goalkeeper so I think yeah I think uh, Posse isn't necessarily particularly um, taken with with how old a player is I think he'll just want to pick the players that he thinks will do the best job I think that's entirely fair um, 
and, and perhaps it's one of the best ways to look at it. I think it's a, it's a perhaps a worldwide football trend now of sort of young players being increasingly more recruited, um, especially given their value. Of course, Ben White was exemplary of that, um, as we sort of mentioned. I think um, I'm agree- in agreement with Charlie in terms of uh, just how good his output's been in terms of uh, a defensive midfield role. My, my one real, uh, perhaps qualm is, is the wrong word from there, but I think that um, perhaps an unnecessary player to put in DM at times. I think he's you know an, an exceptional um, centre back, and he's particularly good when he's he's facing the opposition goal. Um, he's very much like Adam Webster in the way that he can sort of carry a ball and disjointed back line uh, can beat players quite comfortably. Um, and you know when teams are sitting back with a real rigid structure, he can be the exact sort of player that you want to try and engage someone, try and uh, make them a bit bit unorganised, um, and you know perhaps try and pick a pass. So f- for me, I wouldn't perhaps. Um, you know, it'd be too delighted to see Ben White being used over someone who's maybe more of a forward passer. I think if, you, if you've got a, a back three, I don't think you need Ben White in that midfield line. I think for, for me, um, especially when you're going to have a high possession game, I don't think you need, um, you know, I don't think you need a, a Veltman, Dunk, um, Webster and White. I think you could perhaps, uh, as good as Joel Veltman's been, I think he's maybe one that, you know, you might look to use more of a cover option. Um, I'd quite like to see, uh, you know, sort of like a Basum Alzate pivot um, to, to come back would be nice. Perhaps a Davy Proper. Um, we could see him use Pascal Gross in a bit deeper of a role, like he's done at points of the season. Um, as Charlie mentioned earlier on, that um, you know, the opportunities really are endless. So I think Ben White's ability there is definitely undoubtable. Um, but I think it might not even be that necessary at times, um, to, to be quite frankly honest. Um, but d- definitely in, in full agreement there with um, uh, a lot of points, Charlie, that you had to make about um, particularly like the, the set piece and the penalties. I think one thing that um, you know is really important for, for the listeners to sort of remember is that as big a deal as penalties have been this season that for us conceding them, whether we agree with it, sort of the ones that we've conceded or not, and I think we've, um, unlike other teams, have got you know a, a real fair case of some of these being a bit unfair, is we just need to stop conceding them. Um, I, I thought Lallana was perhaps particularly hard done by in sort of the Kane situation, who's um, quite rightly perhaps being picked out for perhaps some dangerous play uh, in terms of, I understand what he's doing as a striker, but you know I believe that people are comparing that to rugby. Um, not that that's perhaps the best comparison to make, but they were saying that you know there's there's potential crossover here of um, how dangerous that might be. Um, it, again, Tarek Lampsi uh, on I think it was Michu Batshuayi at Palace, um, something which was seemed incredibly soft. But um, in this current, I think this current climate of football is you know keep your hands away from anything in the box, whether it be a ball, whether it be a player. Um, don't even give them the opportunity because as of this moment in time, absolutely everything seems to be uh, being given. Um, which is a real shame um, and you hope that that will balance out because otherwise there's a, a real disproportionate rate of penalties but you know in terms of ones that we've conceded this season um, the, you know the, the three of the four that we've conceded so I mean four and eight games in its own right is horrific if we're looking at that from an XG perspective um, you know there, there are about 80% chance of being score penalties um, which is a, a hell of a lot of XG um, when you compare it to, to other things um, you know the, the Palace game um, the Spurs game and I can't for the life of me now remember the other game uh, well, we can see the penalty and uh, Chelsea at home, sorry, in the opening day. All three of those were the opening goal uh, in the game and Palace was the only one that we, we came back to get a result from. And of course, the fourth of those was Bruno Fernandes's um, injury time one uh, against Manchester United. So uh, for, for Brighton to stop conceding penalties, I think we will really start to see an upturn in performance. Everton's the only game that we've not conceded a penalty in and lost. Um, so a very positive record when doing so. And of course, we, we've scored in seven out of eight Premier League games so far this season. So goal scoring, as far as I'm concerned, it's really lost an issue in the slightest. It's a case of, you know, if, if we can keep a clean sheet like we did at Newcastle, um, you know, we'll come away winners from the game. Um, so, you know, to, to find a way, uh, and I think a few people were understandably a bit disappointed about how maybe we, we defended some set pieces. Um, we're starting to show some improvements in that now in terms of preventing goals being conceded. 
Um, so, you know, to really sort of uh, fine tune those uh, and sort of, you know, our box defending, if you like, I think you've got to agree, Charlie, will um, perhaps be, if we look at it now, as, as Charlie mentioned, we've done uh, so much of the of the work that it really now is these sort of fine details that might be be the difference in that one specific goal to sort of turn that loss to a draw or that, that draw to a win. Um, I, I think, you know, cut out the penalties, cut out the defensive set pieces, um, a few more clean sheets, and I, I think we'll, we'll start to see the points really sort, start to rack up. What do you think, Charlie? Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with that. I, I, I would expect that um, over time we will sort of fine-tune. The, the, the balance is the important thing. When uh, The question that we, we were kind of positing before this problem was how, how do we improve and how do we actually get the results that we you know maybe deserve from our performances? And it is really tricky. I think that the, the term that comes up a lot, Potter mentions and and what what you really want from your performances is is balance and as you said before like sometimes you feel yeah with Ben White maybe you, you sort of look at that in midfield and you think okay effective looks numbers good um doing doing the job that he's in there for absolutely so so success on that front but necessary you know how how much do you need to have him in the team in order to defend? You know you want you want the biggest disparity possible between the amount of chances that you're creating and versus the amount of chances you're conceding. Obviously, in a in a positive way, you want to be creating a lot and and conceding uh, very few opportunities to concede. I I think we're quite. This is the tricky thing. So I think we're quite close to to optimizing that about as well as we could with the players that we have I mean so so far this season after eight games we are I believe fifth in terms of expected points in the league which considering where we are you know I think it's obviously you would you would say that's quite unfortunate quite unfortunate bad luck or um or wastefulness um to to actually end up you know, being so far behind where we should be statistically. The question is then, do you distort what you kind of have already in terms of how many chances you're conceding in fate and, and how many chances you're creating to try and tip the scales in your favour? So we have that balance right now. You know, do do we attempt to try and create more chances in order to score more goals? With the with the kind of assumption that we will inevitably have to concede a few more chances mm. and hope that we don't concede them, or arguably do we? You know, we can do the opposite and say no. We're going to be more defensive. We're going to we're going to be more pragmatic and say we're not. We're going to ensure that there we concede as few sloppy goals and we let the opposition have as few chances as possible and we rely and expect on our attacking players to create things out of nothing or for our opponents to um, self-destruct as it were. And there's been instances, I think, where, I mean, I think maybe people take the specific game. Um, so you could say Norwich away last season, I think, uh, so after the lockdown, um, we didn't start that game well at all, or rather we didn't, we weren't proactive in that game at all. You sort of watched it and you thought, you know, this is dire. This is really poor. You know, they are on top. They have the ball. They are controlling possession. You know, they look like they're going to create chances. And then 
you know, Leandro Trossard nets because we just waited for them to self-destruct with the full knowledge that Norwich are a team, unfortunately, with very young defenders, inexperienced. We can rely on them probably to self-destruct. And and it's a, it's a very tricky one because some people would say that has an element of reliability about it. But then there's also the aspect that you don't really want to rely on the opposition. You don't want to think about what the opposition are going to do too much. And perhaps you should try and control your own destiny as much as possible. My my sort of conclusion on this is that I think the numbers that we're putting up are too positive to continue in the way that they are. I think to be, to expect to be fifth in the table on, on expected points and to be, where are we, 16th? Mm. So, yeah. Around there. I, I try not to look at the table. Likewise, likewise. So uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. But yeah, I think I think that's too big a gap. You could, you know, you could expect to be 10th or 13th or something and be 16th and, and you'd sort of say, okay, well, you know, not everything can go for you. But to expect to be 5th and to be 16th is, is too much. And that must, if we continue to play the way we're playing, uh, to create chances at the rate that we're creating them and 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 defend like we are. I think I think we're on the right track and I think there's a lot of options in the squad, flexibility that we, we can tweak things. Um, obviously, I don't, you know, Potter sees the players in training every day. He knows, you know, what what it will take or, or at least he can have a good idea of what it will take to, to kind of tip the scales back in our balance, as, as I said. But for me, I'm very positive about the numbers and I think that I, li- I like the personality that the squad's showing. I like Lalana surly, angry press conferences after the games. Clearly, absolutely fuming that we mm. haven't won them. Uh, maybe something to do with the Kane penalty in the instance of the Tottenham one. But I like the attitude that's coming from the squad. I think I think things will get better. Likewise, I think, yeah, hopefully come obviously the next pod. This hopefully will just be a sort of a weird point in time. I think it's perhaps been enhanced more so by the international break that we have, perhaps haven't had. Um, as I know, sort of the, the thing for me after the West Brom game was that, you know, I was just just so ready for the next game of the case, you know, we really want to sort of try and right these wrongs. But when you do have an international break, I think it's got a bit more time to fester, um, particularly playing on a Friday night as well, you know, and then you've you, you've got that idea of, you know, no one else is playing on the Friday. If you win, you can then look at those positions, you can shoot up. Um, so perhaps important not to try and perhaps be too worried about, um, you know, in individual games and how they might, you know, make outcomes looking at the table. Of course, we, we've had time in, in Premier League seasons where, you know, I think we've started every season pretty well uh, in, in balance and, you know, particularly 18-19, we, we, we finished very poorly. Um, last season, um, you know, we, we looked in all fairness like we were well on our way to doing so prior to lockdown, of course. Um, not that that was any control of Potters, but uh, he used that time window clearly very well uh, and generated a squad who came back out, as Charlie said, fighting. Um, maybe a bit more differently, a bit more pragmatic. Whether he'll go with that approach now, I'd be surprised to see. Um but I think that there's definitely the the makings of all of a, all of the quality squad in there. Um, so so to finish on a slightly um, more positive note, prior to um, that, there is a, a nice interview. So please stick around for the uh, the end of the end of the pod. We'll be previewing uh, the, the Villa clash this weekend uh, with, with a very special guest. So please do stay around for that. But before we do, we'll, we'll take a bit of a dive into some of the the FPL numbers. So thank you to everyone who is part of the league. Uh, if you still would like to join, our, our Charlie will probably tell you more than me. Uh, it's, he's he's a resident expert here. Um, you can probably still do so, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie. Yeah, you can join the league. Um, you have to be, at, I think once you join, it waits for the next game week to, to update mm-hmm. so you get added at the end. So if you don't immediately see yourself in the league, 
then then don't worry. Uh, when when this pod goes out, I think we'll we'll link the uh, the link to the to the league uh, definitely on the on the tweet. So uh, you will be able to join if you would like. Um, please pay little to no attention to my <laughs> position in the league, and do not uh, do not uh, be tricked into thinking that I might not know that much about FPL. Uh, just by my league position, because that's obviously just not the case. I think you might be the FPL version child of what Brighton are experiencing. Your your sort of expected <laughs> points might have you right up at the top, but you, you've been dealt maybe a few harsh hands in, in the past few game weeks. But um, uh, a big congratulations to those who have sort of come up the chaps flying. Uh, I've written down the top three here. We've got Joshua Goldsmith leading the pack with 544 points. Joe Burt is in second with 540. So, you know, really quite tight at the top there. Uh, and Joe Glacier uh, in third with 511. So, you know, it's a, a real strong start. Um, relatively happy with, with my start as well uh, on 490 points, uh, sort of pushing that lead away pack of, of six of you uh, who have broken that 500 point mark. Um, Charlie's a little bit behind me, six places or so, but uh, as Brighton will hopefully demonstrate this season, it's by no means a sprint. It's most definitely a marathon. Um, no one wants to burn out early at all. Um, so all to play for in, in the FPL League, of course. Uh, not only is it all to play for, but there's prizes to pay for as well. Uh, there is a matchday frame print, a free Patreon subscription, and a copy of the XG Philosophy book all up for grabs. So do go and sort out your teams over the international break. Um, you've obviously still, still got a full uh, week or so from when this when this pod is out and um, when you guys will be listening to it. So go use your free hits, your wild cards, etc. Pick your triple captain wisely and, uh, and make some good decisions, hopefully. Um, yeah, nice and competitive league. Uh, there is a giveaway as well going on on the page right now. Um, giving away a print of Tarek Lamptey uh, and Bruno, which will be all over on the Twitter page. We'll link it, of course, off the tweet uh, in relation to the pod. But go and get yourself involved. All you have to do is retweet a tweet, uh, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're in the hat if you like uh, to try and win some some lovely design stuff. So please do go and check that out. Uh, very fortunate at this point in time as well to to be doing some stuff for the club. Um, so writing some words for them um, on the official BrightonOfAlbion.com website. Uh, for each match day, uh, as well looking at some stuff over the international break. So if you would like to see a few words um, before we play each opponent, um, do go and check it out on the website. Uh, there will be one up, of course, this weekend for Aston Villa, who will be no doubt a tough opponent um, for us, given how well they've started the season uh, and how good their record is against us in general, uh, in all fairness. So do go and check that out on the website. Uh, let me know what you think. It would be great to get sort of uh, your guys' feedback on that. Um, and besides that, I think that's absolutely everything from me, Charlie. Um, is there anything from you before we before we let the, the listeners uh, listen to the preview? Um, I will just end the uh, the pod with some more uh, sort of the inevitable Tarek Lamptey propaganda. Uh, this was something that was put on you. I think you might have retweeted it um, from Five Yards. Uh, how mm. just off the scale Tarek is this season in terms of his performance amongst English left uh, right backs. That is just. Just phenomenal, and and I I think I speak for everybody when I say that I just can't wait to be back in a football stadium, hopefully full, watching this kid bomb mm. up down in a Brighton shirt. I was one of the lucky few that got to go to the Chelsea friendly, and he he was fantastic for the forty five minutes that I saw him there. Um, notably, his his defensive dual success rate is just ridiculous uh, for for a guy of small stature. Uh, he wins. I think he must just get to the ball quicker in every instance because he just is it's just absolutely insane um but yeah that had to be done uh yeah please do join the fpl league if you're in it and you're above me which is not really that hard at the moment well done keep it going um lots of injuries lots of problems for everybody uh over the international break uh i just had a quick look at my team at your team um 
yeah, a lot of orange, a lot of red. That's not okay. what I want to see right now. Uh, but yeah, so please go and uh, join up the league. It's good fun. Uh, and if you have any FPL-related Brighton questions, please do direct them to the page and I will try to answer them as best I can. But yeah, nothing nothing more than that. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, as a final point to Tarek Lamptey propaganda as well, Charlie, I, w- I will jump on the bandwagon. Um, uh, as a quick point to mention, I did actually note down the, the top Brighton FPL point scorers this season. Me and Charlie, Donald the Harbuck for you here. Neil Mapai uh, leads the pack with 38 points. That's as a result, presumably, of his, his four goals and one assist. Tarek Lamptey coming in a nice second place at 29 points, which I think is, is very good for a defender. Obviously, a couple of clean sheets there. Um, and penalties one, which I think, Charlie, you agree with me here from an FBL perspective. I think that's qu- quite right to be fair that penalties are, are counts and assist. I think that, um, you know, winning free kicks and stuff, maybe not so much, but, you, you know, from an XG perspective, if you're, if you're winning a penalty, you're giving your, your teammates a pretty good chance of scoring, no? No, I completely agree. I think it's a fair indication of um, contribution to the, mm. the attack. I think where people are getting, I, sort of maybe justifiably, a bit irate is uh, kind of the more inane handball penalties where you just sort of think if someone punts the ball uh, mm-hmm. like just someone's hand, I don't think that's, you know, maybe that doesn't warrant an assist. That seems a bit strange. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the way it goes. Um, but yeah, I do agree. Um, in particularly exciting players that have the willingness to take players on, go past them. Um, let's say uh, Tarek Lamptey against Newcastle or indeed against Burnley when he flew past Charlie Taylor took a forearm to the face um, mm. admittedly he is much lower down uh, than most uh, <laughs> players so maybe I'll let I'll let Taylor off uh, with that one considering he's in my FPL team as well but yeah uh, you, need, you need all the points you can get exactly I was I was begging the referee not to go to the screen uh, as they so seldom do but yeah um, players who, who, who do that who take players on take risks I think they deserve to be rewarded yeah, de- definitely. Solly March comes in third place to Brighton, uh, by the way, with 26 points. So quite close to Terry Clamsey, sort of the wing-backs there, um, scoring quite highly. Then there's four on 18 points in fourth place. Uh, Aaron Connolly, Yves Basuma, Adam Webster and Benjamin White, who, of course, we've sort of discussed a bit there this podcast episode. For anyone who's requiring even more Terry Clamsey propaganda, um, of course, do go and have a look at the Twitter page. There will be a Patreon-exclusive piece going up this week as well, sort of diving into some of his numbers. I uh, did do a piece uh, post-lockdown, um, for scouted football on, on their website, sort of looking into Lampy's numbers last season, um, which are, of course, really, really good. And they've sort of only become even better this season. So if you'd like to see that, please do consider going and supporting the page. Um, do, do come join us over on Patreon. Uh, and yeah, you can unlock that, that piece there. Uh, but thank you guys very much for listening. We will see you in the next episode. Okay, so I'm delighted now to be joined by Stephen, also known as Villa Analytics on Twitter. Uh, he's the man to go to for all the Villa-related stats and bits and pieces on Twitter. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you on the pod. Uh, could you please just first of all introduce yourself and tell all the listeners uh, what you're sort of all about? Um, well, yeah, I'm Stephen, as Liam said, uh, Villa Analytics. Uh, I post mostly just Aston Villa stats-based content, um, a few more detailed threads on my opinions uh, and what I think is happening with Villa. Yeah, not much else to it. It's very, very good. Um, I have to say, obviously, Villa were one of the uh, interesting teams post-lockdown to sort of watch and observe. Um, you'd obviously struggled an awful lot in sort of the first 28 games and, and really sort of dug deep and, and got some important points to sort of ultimately keep you up. Um, in terms of that then, what have you made of Villa sort of post-lockdown um, as sort of 
a weird sort of eight, nine game tangent uh, or 10 games for you guys, actually, that um, sort of added on to, to last season. Because, um, you, you know, you've always been sort of a, a new look team. Yeah, it's uh, it's been tough to explain, really. Uh, after we came back following the uh, COVID break, it was the defence that seemed to take a massive, massive upturn. Because um, I thought pre-lockdown, it was the start of the season we were defending well, but we weren't scoring. Then we started scoring and not defending well, and it kept tossing between the two. We just we always couldn't do something. Um, but really, since post-lockdown, we've been defending so solidly. Um, I think our goals against is second or third lowest um, in the league since then. Um, and the attack has been, obviously, firing Grealish at his best um, and just tearing the league apart. But now, particularly this season, having added Ross Barkley as well, Ollie Watkins, um, and having McGinn, Louise, not to forget Trezeguet, of course, as well. Uh, it just It all seems to be working. It all seems to have come together. I'm not sure what exactly we did over that gap in the season last year, but whatever it was, it's worked. Definitely from an outside perspective, I sort of I think I have to really just echo um, sort of it, it working. Um, as I know, sort of people look at sort of uh, the way in which we, we look at numbers at times, uh, even we sort of have to step back and, as you say, admit that, you know, the numbers might be telling you one thing, but when you try to really pinpoint to what's caused that, it can be, can be a bit tricky sometimes. It, it's quite similar for Brighton sort of post-lockdown. Um, I think uh, us and Villa actually had very, very similar records. I think we took the same number of points in sort of the last um, last set of games. Um, but, the, but the big thing for Brighton was that uh, our possession approach sort of really, really almost got dropped in, in sort of some low possession games, hitting teams who were on the counter. Um, but I was definitely impressed with, with Villa from a defensive perspective. Um, just looking at the numbers, it was 56 goals conceded in 28 games pre-lockdown, which is obviously two per game, uh, the worst in the division. It, it probably won't surprise you to hear. Um, and in the final 10 games, conceded just 11 goals, um, obviously 1.1 per game, um, which is you know a really exceptional upturn. Uh, this season, I think you've won three games without conceding. Um, and obviously, one of the games you, you won with conceding was a 7-2 battering of Liverpool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, conceding two goals against against the champions isn't bad if you, you can put seven in at the other end. Um, and you've sort of spoken about the likes of um, Ross Barkley, Ollie Watkins. Um, just how big of those sort of uh, non-Greedish-like players, if you will, um, sort of been for you in terms of who Hoover have recruited? Yeah, I think... It's pretty much everyone, really. I think the recruitment this summer was absolutely spot on. Uh, Cash has added a lot in defence and attack from right back. Emmy Martinez is obviously a fantastic goalkeeper. I think the Barkley signing is, obviously it's just on loan, but it really gives us something that we're missing from having Grealish on the wing. It sort of gives us that player in midfield who can drop a little deeper and carry the ball and also advance into the box and get goal contributions. And that player that has the little something special in midfield that means we can play Grealish on the wing and have that sort of double threat. And then obviously Ollie Watkins up front has been incredible. He can just do it all. Um, I spoke very positively about him when we first signed him. And I think it's fair to say I've been proved right on that one. Just the way he holds up the ball and then gets 
gets into the box and goal-scoring up positions. It's it's just a joy to watch Villa in attack. Um, we've got so many runners, so many ball carriers, and we're a very multi-dimensional team, I'd say. We have not just the attacking players as well, the likes of Louise and McGinn that I mentioned earlier. We have so many creative threats in the team um, that it's sort of hard to pinpoint one danger man. It's more of a danger unit. I think that's a really good way to sort of consider it, actually. And do you think maybe that's one of the reasons why we perhaps started so well? In fact, that, um, you know, having a, a sort of primary threat can be, can be great for teams because you know that this may be perhaps a player you can give the ball um, and sort of go, you know, we'll, we'll feed Grealish the ball, for instance, is, is sort of perception around Villa um, last season was, you know, they're going to give it to Grealish and just let him do what he wants with it. But now if you've got sort of four, five, six players, um, and as you mentioned, across the whole width of the pitch now, if you're going from, you know, maybe Grealish on your left side um, to Matty Cash on the right, I think so absolutely exceptional, by the way. I know his defensive numbers, um, one of two players, I think, in the league to have had 20-plus tackles and interceptions. Um, watched him a fair bit last season for Forest. Um, was, you know, definitely the sort of right-back that I thought Brighton might be interested in. Obviously, we've thankfully got an equally good um, sort of young English right-back uh, in Tarek Lamptey. So, it's sort of be interesting to see. Um, I think a lot of synergy, at, at least stylistically, um, looking at sort of the likes of Barkley compared to Lallana, um, Cash versus Lamptey, of course, um, that sort of might match up. Um, so, I think that that'll be interesting. And, and as you say, the fact that Villa can hurt teams, I think from a Brighton perspective, is quite worrying that you could perhaps hurt us sort of full width across the pitch. Um, and I think the carrier aspect that you mentioned now, the likes of Grealish, the likes of Barkley, players who can get the ball and they can really run with it. Um, and I think Ollie Watkins as well, even though he is, you know, on paper, he's a nine to forward. Um, you know, having watched him a bit at Brentford, I think he's, you know, can almost play anywhere sort of across the front three up top. Um, you know, a really good versatile player, a very, very good header of the ball as well. Um, but he's got good speed, you know, real good manipulator. He's, he's perhaps, you know, not an orthodox nine in the way you might expect him to be. Um, I think, sort of, as you mentioned, all these things compiling together really sort of mean that Villa are now a really dangerous side. Um, and, and the multi-dimensional aspect, I think, is something that, uh, from a Brighton perspective, we're really sort of looking to try and hone in on. Um, of course, a lot's been made about our possession approach. Um, but as you will full well know, Stephen, it's, it's important to be able to hurt teams in a variety of ways, whether that be, you know, through a type of attack, uh, through a dead ball, um, through a live ball. Um, so on, on, that, uh, on that sense of it, um, or, or perhaps looking at the more recent things. Um, you've, of course, had Grealish and Mings um, and we're playing the week for England, um, which is, of course, great for Villa to have representation. Um, obviously, from a Brighton perspective, we, we're gutted to see Lewis Dunk not feature, um, potentially trying to take the, the small silver lining from it, of course, and therefore of no injuries. Um, and obviously, a, a, a lack of fatigue that's hopefully um, not occurred as a result of that. Do you think that might be, you know, sort of a slight benefit for Brighton going into this, that Villa are becoming so good that, and this might come at the right time. If, if you know, a, a full 90, I think it was, um, for Mings, it, it, could that be potentially a, a danger for Villa? Um, of course, you know, uh, fixture congestion is always going to put your players a bit more risk of injury. But alongside that, maybe increased fatigue, you have an increased level of confidence, especially, I think, in Grealish. He, 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 always, he could already walk through pretty much anyone in the league. Um, but put on such a good display against Belgium, I think his, his confidence will be an all-time high at the minute. And he'll go into this Brighton game knowing that he can do some serious damage. And I think from a Brighton perspective, it'll be a really interesting test for Terrick Lamptey, who you just mentioned, um, to come up against Jack Grealish uh, to see how he, he can defend against him because he's 
such a unique player uh, and a unique attacker, I think it'd be really tough for Lampty. Uh, and for Mings as well, uh, he said himself he lacked confidence um, at times last season. And he sort of started to doubt himself, but getting 90s in the England team and playing well, uh, I think, again, just that confidence aspect, Villa at the minute are quite built on confidence because, yes, we are a good side, but the wins that we've managed to put together at the start of the season are making the season better. And I think, really, the England internationals can only be a good thing for us. I think that's definitely a fair analysis. Um, I'd say, having, having watched you recently um, in the winning at Arsenal right before the break, um, the frequency at which you continue to attack despite being ahead and you know really be a ruthless side um, was you know really exciting to watch. Obviously, you know with one one eye uh, looking at the fixture coming up against you, was quite worried about that at the same time. Um, but I think that sort of ability, and I'm not sure how your goals break down, but you know Villa strikes me as a team who. Um, have definitely got the capacity to score goals late on. Um, obviously, showed showed that against us last season. Um, you know, goals from Matt Target in, in the away game for us. So obviously, at Villa Park uh, and Grealish, of course, firing firing home at the Amex um, relatively late on. Um, I think are a team who, yeah, not that you can with any teams really, but Villa in particular, a team that um, you really can't sort of let off uh, at any point sort of until full time. Um, obviously, you mentioned the the Grealish Lamptey battle that could occur. Do you think maybe Tarek Lamptey with with this pace might be, um, you know, as much as it will be a test for him, could he be the sort of player, do you think, if Grealish does hypothetically have an Achilles heel or, or the type of defender that might limit him a little bit? Um, you know, his, his ball dribbling speed is immense and what I've seen of him. Do you think someone who's equally quite as quick in Lamptey might be the sort of person that could maybe limit him uh, a slight amount? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I would say... A player with a bit more speed is more suited, but um, if you, I, I'm not sure if you watch uh, a game against Arsenal, um, and there's a moment when Grealish took the ball off Martinez um, and outpaced Hector Bellerin mm. uh, before knocking him out, and putting on through to score. So um, I think I'd be surprised if he if. Lamptey was able to keep Grealish quiet um, for 90 minutes. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too surprised because I do think Lamptey is a fantastic, fantastic right back. But also, I just feel like at the minute there is no one who could defend against Grealish. Uh, mm. No one that could, no one that could keep him quiet for a whole 90 minutes. Um, but I do think this will be an interesting battle, and I think this will be sort of the story of the game. Uh, if you like, is how well Lampy can deal with Grealish because uh, especially being a younger player, there is the chance that Grealish could sort of win the first battle, win the second one, win the third one, and then Lampy could start to uh, struggle a bit. Um, mm. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I hope. Oh, I, th- I think so. That, uh, I hope that Grealish does get the better of him. Uh, of course, of course. Um, but I think that was definitely something interesting and sort of a worthwhile discussion is. is Brighton fans, we're, we're well aware of first-hand of the threat that Grealish, uh, Grealish poses, let alone when he's in this sort of form. I think he's got four four goals and one assist uh, against us, which is his most goals against um, sort of any club. Uh, scored in all the fixtures last season, but both in the in the league um, as well as in the cup, uh, with, with sort of a variety of goals as well. Not that that makes a massive amount of difference, but to know that a player can sort of hurt you, um, you know, sort of converting from six yards out, yards out off of a cross as opposed to sort of dribbling with the ball. 
um, it, you know, it is a real worry. And I know the threat that he carries. I think he ranks top for um, chance creating carries in the league. Um, and not that I think Grealish is, is so good at this point in time where people really don't need to hear the stats because you watch him play. Um, you see how good he is. He, he oozes class. I particularly was impressed, um, as, as I'm sure you were watching the game last night, um, a particularly good flick uh, was sort of the, the back of his heel that he used um, off of the first touch. I can't remember for the life of me who played him in the past, um, but uh, sort of a great flick to, to carry himself forward. Um, mm-hmm. So with, with as much praise I've sort of offered Villa, um, and it's deserved praise as well, they've been exceptional at the start of the season, as they have been post-lockdown. Um, you know, for, for for the life of me here, Stephen, and for the for the listeners, I'm I'm trying to find uh, some some straws to clutch at. Can you see any sort of ways that Villa might be vulnerable um, to Brighton? Um, oh, that's a it's a good question. Um, I think one thing you should look at is the fact that we looked absolutely unstoppable going into our game against Leeds at home and then they absolutely turned us over. They beat us 3-0. We didn't have much of a chance in that game at any point. Um, I think Dunk uh, can maybe try and shut down Watkins. Obviously, he's a top, top defender. Um, Although Van Dijk Dijk couldn't keep control of him. So... um, I think really it's the case of you're going to have to out-attack us. Um, you've obviously proved you can create a lot of chances, um, especially in that uh, Man United game with mm. the uh, five hits of the woodwork. Mm. Um, and just if you can get your possession football going, which I'm sure you will, uh, and really try and dominate us, quiet and the attackers, hurt the confidence and create and just try and, try and score first, I think, um, will be a big big part of it. Um, because, obviously, Villa this season have won every game we've scored first and lost the two that we've conceded okay. first. So Noted. So that's, that's that'll that'll one, be your thing to look out for. Mm. That's interesting, because as far as I'm aware, I, I believe that every time Bryce have conceded this season in the league, um, we've actually responded with an equalising goal. have gone on to lose a, a few of those games, Everton um, and Spurs away sort of spring to mind. Um, you know, but we, we've equally lost games. I think United at home, we, we led for a very brief period of time. Um, we ended up, as you mentioned, losing, having absolutely sort of um, battered the woodwork um, and against West Brom, of course, dropping points. So uh, I think from, from a Brighton perspective, avoiding conceding a penalty will, will be probably the most important one. Um, you know, conceding four in eight games is, is a pretty poor return. Um, pretty poor is actually probably quite generous. Um, you know, we we won one draw in those four games, and, and as you as you mentioned with the opening goal, um, I think three of those have been the opening goal in the game. So, uh, sort of avoiding Villa uh, any easy goals on the spot, I think, will sort of be key for us. Um, but thank you very much for your time, Stephen. Uh, it was absolutely uh, fantastic to to get your insight. Um, is there anything you, you sort of like to leave the viewers with um, or listeners with before we depart? No, that's that's all good by me. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. An absolute pleasure. Uh, everyone do please go and check out Stephen over on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll leave his at link uh, in, in the tweet so you can, can go and jump over there. Hopefully you'll be able to bombard him with sort of some uh, some good XG tweets after we somehow come away with some form of results. Um, although we've at least got the added bonus of this not being a, a pay-per-view game now that Sky have ditched it. So uh, we, we might end up dropping points or inevitably losing, but at least we haven't got to pay £15 for the pleasure of doing so. <laughs> Stephen, once again, thank you very much for your time. Um, Yeah, thank you to the listeners. We'll see you for the next episode.